I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I found in my own life I gain even more from these inspired sermons when I study them in greater depth. The basic pattern is to identify the fundamental doctrine or principle that's being taught. Find any invitations associated with and related to that doctrine or principle. And then also recognizing the promised blessings if we act in accordance with that invitation. Welcome to Words of the Prophets, a podcast where we discuss the latest talks from the General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Todd. Today I have with me my friend, Burke. How are you today, Burke? I just got home from a trip to the temple doing baptisms for the dead with Rivka and the kids, and so I am doing fantastic. Great. Yeah. It's always nice to get in the temple and bring the family. I love that. Awesome. Uh, My family also got to go to the temple yesterday, and my son started his first shift as a extremely short-term temple worker uh, for Mm -hmm. a few more weeks before he goes on his mission, but um, he enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. He had a friend of his with him who's also going on a mission shortly, so it was a good night. What a great glad you had a good morning. Yeah. Yeah. And we walked out of the temple to a little bit of snow in the air, so... You sound so happy about that. It's kind of magical <laughs> here. Know, it was so it won't funny stick to I, the ground and it will go away, but it was pretty. <laughs> I know, I thought we're going to tell this to Todd and he'll be like, but we only yeah. get snow a few days a year. And so for us, it's. It's a rare nice. treat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, last night we're like in the parking lot waddling like penguins. We don't slip on the ice yeah. and. Yeah. You know, Deanna didn't have a coat and she's like freezing and ugh, yeah. We do know. Well, yeah. indeed. And how are you today, Rivka? Just fantastic. Fantastic. Great. The temple and it snowed. It's like two of my favorite things this morning. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you, this. You're always welcome to move here. <laughs> no, it's one of those things where, you know, like the birthday meal you have each year. If you ate that four times a week, it would stop being the special birthday meal. Right. So, right. Yeah. It's, we call it the Cadbury egg principle yes. in our house. Yes, it is. Yep. Cause I ate, I ate two of those a year and they're spectacular. But if I ate, you know, even twice that many a year, they wouldn't would be, be as many. spectacular. <laughs> so yep. awesome. Well, before we get to our talk, I want to give a shout out to our new friend, Steve, from the UK who sent us a lovely email just saying that he enjoyed the podcast and he told his brief conversion story and um, just said uh, that he enjoyed the podcast and gave some encouragement to all the missionaries out there to keep looking for the the people who are ready because he was one of them and 30 years later he's active in the church and his kids are active in the church so it was a great great email to read so yes your words are appreciated Steve thank you yeah, very much so. Um, I know we also have another new listener uh, named Josh, uh, who is a friend of mine who was not aware we had, were doing the podcast. And um, But I'm shouting him out now because he'll only hear it in like six months because he started from the beginning oh, yeah. <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> so, Whoa. you know, hi, Josh, in the future. <laughs> Glad to have you aboard. So... Anyways, here we go with our talk today, which is Lifted Up Upon the Cross by Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And uh, wow, his talks, always so good. 
Yeah. Uh, Burke, let's start with you. What was the fundamental doctrine? All right. So um, I'm going to skip what I actually thought was probably the fundamental doctrine because I'm sure you or Rivka will read it. Um, but I'm going to read, which to me was the most impactful doctrine in here, I think. Ooh, I like it. And it's when he says, probably two thirds of the way through, these are just a few of so many trying circumstances we may face in life. Solemn reminders that there is a cost to discipleship. To Aruna, who attempted to give him free oxen and free wood for his burnt offering, King David said, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, for I will not offer unto the Lord my God that which doth cost me nothing. So to say we all. Wow. Yeah. Um, mm. I it, I have a hard time putting words to this because it hits me so hard because I have felt in my life so often like this is true, but I wasn't sure I'd ever been told it. Um, that if I want to offer my life back to God, it has to cost me something to make it into what he wants it made into. And yeah. therefore it will be trying and it will yes. be difficult. So, mm, so good. I think it was brother Wilcox in one of the recent general conferences who said, um, or maybe it wasn't general conference. Anyways, I know it was brother Wilcox. He said, a God who asks nothing of you is, will make nothing of you. Mm. Um, and then of course, Joseph Smith, who I didn't look up the quote, but talked about, you know, if you want the same blessings as Abraham, you have to be willing to make the same sacrifices. Yeah. And I don't think this is the fundamental doctrine because this quote is actually kind of about taking up your cross. <laughs> right. <clears throat> right. Which it wouldn't seem at face value. That's what this talk was about, but I just really liked it. I didn't want to miss it. But it sort of oh. is. And if it's the thing that it, strikes you, that is the fundamental doctrine for you. Yeah. True. For any of us. I, I think, I know how he started where he talked about, you know, teaching why we don't use the iconography of the cross, but I really think this is where he wanted to go. And yeah. and this was the fundamental doctrine. Um, actually had it marked as the fundamental doctrine, <laughs> of course. But I marked a backup just in case. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but <laughs> I just want to read that scripture reference again where um, King David says, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, for I will not offer unto the Lord my God that which doth cost me nothing. So too say we all. Oh, just so good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Rivka, how about you? What was your fundamental doctrine? So that section that Burke read had me thinking this week. It started me thinking about the difference between being willing to follow the Lord or being willing to do something and being determined to do it. Um, okay. And, and I don't know, almost like an expansion of the law of agency there, but because he was saying here, here, David, I mean, David was going to do the right thing. He was offering the sacrifice and someone gave him a way that it sort of like was offering to pave the way to make it easier for him to do this righteous thing, you know, more simple. And, and I just, just easier. Like, I feel like it's not that sometimes when I'm trying to get to the temple, like it's just, please, can you part the ocean so I can get there without all these things? Right. And that was, that was offered to him, but he 
chose not to take that because he wanted to pay the price of the sacrifice. Um, and that, I don't know, that might seem like a subtle difference and I hadn't really considered it before, but Elder Holland, and this is actually one of the things that I underlined as a potential doctrine for me in this or principle at the beginning of the talk, when he shares about, he was speaking to a friend who asked the question about why do we, you know, why do we not use the cross? And he was giving him all the answers, but then the friend was like, uh, and like looked at his watch and was like, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Not, and, and this is what Elder Holland said. This morning, some 50 years later, I am determined to finish that explanation and not determined to finish it to the person and make them hear, but determined to, to fully work through and express this thing that he believed and he clearly had put effort into understanding and that hit me differently. Like I am determined to share this thing that I feel like I got interrupted in sharing for my sake so that I can share it so that I can say I've testified of this so that I can, um, you know, my responsibility for it, let that fall where it may. He's like, and he says that even if every single solitary one of you start looking at your wristwatches. <laughs> uh, so I just, I had that thought this week about this talk and, and have considered, which I hadn't before, really the difference between saying, sure, I'm willing, like whatever you need, just tell me what to do. Um, in a, in a more sort of laid back, like if, if he needs something, he'll ask it of me versus the determination to do it. Like I'm going to do this and I am, I am like actively pursuing paying the price for this because I recognize the value um, in in what comes from the sacrifice. Awesome. So if we're willing, that that's still a good thing, but maybe yeah. we are waiting to be directed or asked. And if we're determined, we're going to give whatever it takes to make, to follow the Lord. Yeah. I that- mean, yeah. We've talked sometimes about uh, like Elder Eyring's prayer, right? Like, just tell me what to do and I'll do yes. it. But I feel like when he offers that as the thing, that is, I have done, I have done everything else. I have paid every possible price I know how to pay. I have, I have followed every road I know how to follow. And I, I can't seem to come up with this. Or I've done all of the things. What, what is the next thing? Just tell me what to do here. You know? And so I feel like that his, his thing where it's like, just tell me what to do. I don't think that's a beginning invitation. That's sort of what I was considering where we can't just be like, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to be saved. And then I'm going to be like, just save me. And, th- and then that's it. Like, and tell me if you need me to do anything else now that I'm saved. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then there's, there's, that's, this- <laughs> That's like the classic way to offer to help somebody without really wanting to help, right? Like, just let me know if you need me. Something. Yeah. So this is kind of the thing that I was thinking about this week is just that, that there are maybe different ways we can say, just tell me what I need to do. And Elder Ironing's way, I think, is premised on the assumption that you have already been doing a great deal. 
And so, you know, and your determination is shown through. So anyway, I, that's what I was just thinking about that contrast and what the differences might be between being willing in a more standoffish way and being determined in a taking up the cross sort of way. Yeah. I think this um, scripture and the sentiment behind it might even go one step further though, Rivka. When I think of determined, I think of Abinadi or all the, you know, anyone who was martyred who just says, I'm going to see this out to the end, no matter what. Mm -hmm. David is saying, I know what I've been asked, and not only am I going to complete it, but I'm going to show the Lord my love for him by giving him something valuable to me Yeah, in the process. Yes. Which is, which is like um, consecrating, not just being determined, but, but making that mm. sacrifice holy, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That consecrating is a good word to put in there. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, at least for me recently, that has played out in the, um, I'm still looking for direction about some specific things and it's not coming yet. And I understand that I will have to wait. And meanwhile, I will do whatever right. it takes to stay close to the spirit until that message right. comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And if we're using Elder Holland here as the example, this is over, he said some 50 years later, this is something that has been on his mind for 50 years. And he's, you know, finally like, I'm going to do this. (laughs) I don't know. That's just, you know. I like also that he remembers exactly how the conversation went 50 years ago. That was very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. The things he quoted. And I was like, man, 50 years ago. Wow. And he quoted, great. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I wouldn't have pulled all that out. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. Well, Burke, to just continue on with your thought about what you just said about waiting. I know you know, we're going a little bit out of order here, but if I can just jump to the end where he gives us a, a, a promise and an invitation, he invites us to believe in Christ and view his death and suffer his cross. And he's quoting Jacob from the Book of Mormon there. And then his promises, some, sometimes these blessings come soon and sometimes they come later. But the marvelous, marvelous conclusion to our personal Via Dolorosa is the promise from the master himself that they do and will come. And of course, that has very strong echoes from his high priest to good things to come talk, mm-hmm. which is one of the best talks mm-hmm. ever all time period. End of story. Um, so yeah, that, you know, you're taking up the exact cross that he talked about at the end here and waiting exactly as, as he discussed. So yeah. what's, what's that experience like Burke when you have to wait on the Lord and, and you, you want something and it's not coming. It goes against my very nature. <laughs> Excruciating, I, <laughs> um, anxiety provoking. Uh, it leads me to question whether or not I'm actually doing all the stuff I know I'm supposed to do. A lot of self-examination. Um, in the words of, I believe it is Inigo Montoya, I hate waiting. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's tough. And you- <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, you might've been looking for something more positive than that, but I'm no, right, no, I wasn't. right now. And I got to say, uh, I'm not loving it, but I understand the value of it. Yeah. I mean that he says our, our via Dolorosa, which um, is a term that maybe we don't use that often, but he um, puts a footnote here and says via Dolorosa is a Latin phrase, meaning a painfully difficult route, difficult route passage or series of experiences. And of course it's associated with, 
um, with Jesus' movement from his condemnation at the hand of Pilate to his crucifixion on Calvary. So, yeah, I think you described it very well, actually. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go to my fundamental doctrine here, my other one, you know, number yeah, two. The backup. <laughs> the backup. <clears throat> and it's actually only a little ways back from the one that Burke read. And it's right in the middle of the paragraph. And he's talking about us um, bearing our own personal crosses. And he says, a true Christian cannot follow the master only in those matters with which he or she agrees. That was it. Just that sentence. Yep. And to tie it into what we just said, maybe the thing which costs us dearly that we're putting on the altar like David is our own personal convictions or beliefs. Even if they disagree with, the, you know, if, if the prophet disagrees with what the world says or um, the teachings in the scriptures dis- disagree with our personal political party or any of those things, Ah, those are those are hard to give up, um, but sometimes that's what we have to do. And sometimes it feels like the straight and narrow path um, is not just about commandments, but it's about doctrine and ideology, about about you know staying right down the center line of of what Christ teaches. So, um, that was my fundamental doctrine. So now let's go back to Burke and. Maybe we can go a little bit more in order here to just understand how he built to this main point. So we talked a little bit about how he was going to teach us or teach, you know, his friend from 50 years ago, why we don't use the iconography of the cross. So any of his explanations or reasonings really stand out to you, Burke, about why we don't use the cross in our churches or in our jewelry or on top of the temples? Well, I like that he wants to establish initially, um, he says, as I attempt to explain why we generally do not use the iconography of the cross, I wish to make abundantly clear our deep respect and profound admiration for the faith-filled motives and devoted lives of those who do. And I feel this is important because we're not looking to say what you do is wrong. Um, We want people to know that we are devoted to Jesus Christ, but we choose a different way to represent that devotion. And we're not saying that there's anything wrong with what they're doing. We have just chosen a different way. Yeah. I love that. One of my, my dearest friends right now is a, a very devout Catholic and I have nothing but respect for his incredible faith. He is just such a tremendous man of God. And of course the iconography of the cross is all over the Catholic church. And um, yeah. And it, it helps him to focus his faith. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there is power in symbols. Yes. So yes, there is. Um, Rivka, how about you? Any of these reasons for why we don't use the cross stand, uh, stand out to you as you read through this? Um, his, paragraph where and this is like one of those times where elder holland just speaks very um i don't know pointedly without um i don't know he does apology yeah without apology and and saying something that he says so well that said more poorly could cause offense do you know what i mean he kind of has this magic but um I loved this distinction for me as I consider my membership in the church and and faith. He said, 
By the 4th and 5th centuries, a cross was being introduced as a symbol of generalized Christianity, but ours is not a generalized Christianity. Being neither Catholic nor Protestant, we are rather a restored church, the restored New Testament church. Thus, our origins and our authority go back before the time of councils, creeds, and iconography. In this sense, the absence of a symbol that was late coming into common use is yet another evidence that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of true Christian beginnings. That's a really, um, I think, important and powerful teaching that he gives us there. A recognition that while we... um, we respect and want to be involved with and partnered with uh, members of other faiths, including generalized Christianity, that we are not entirely the same as them. <laughs> we we right. have significant differences. And so there will always be aspects of us that do not fit in to a generalized um, Christianity. And it's important for us to recognize those and honor them for what they are. Um, those differences and, and be, be proud of them in a, you know, to, proud. That's such a, that's such a touch word in the gospel, isn't it? But, you know, yeah, to be, to be pleased with them and to embrace them. Maybe that's what I mean to embrace them. Those differences. Right. To not feel defensive about them. Yeah. 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 I, I loved that thought process. I, I had never really thought of it that way. He's saying yeah. basically like, oh, we're just going back to the original church. And um, so that was pretty cool to think of. I, I appreciated that. And that reminds me a little bit of a lot of things written in um, Ted Callister's book, The Inevitable Apostasy, where he goes yeah. back and reads a lot of the early Christian writings and shows where many things that mainstream Christianity no longer believe in were written about prior to councils and committees changing. Yeah. Things, so, yeah. Yep. Um, well, then he transitions to us taking up our crosses and he does it in a way that I thought was really interesting. And he sort of tied these two things together in a way that I didn't really see coming. <clears throat> and he quotes President Hinckley when he says, you know, the last reason we don't use a cross is because, quote, the lives of our people must be the symbol of our faith. And uh, he loves to turn a phrase here. He says, it has to do with the rock-ribbed integrity and stiff moral backbone that Christians should bring to the call Jesus has given to every one of his disciples. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So then he says... You know, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we take up the Savior's cross by carrying um, the burdens either placed on us as disciples or on other people. And so we become symbols of the of our faith. And, you know, to turn it maybe towards the way Alma um, would talk about it, um, you know, hopefully we have the image of the Savior in our countenance as we do this. And and we can be tools in his hand um, to 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 lift other people's burdens. And I never really thought of it that way either, <clears throat> excuse me, of not using the cross um, because, you know, we carry the cross of the Savior with us as we are his disciples. So, um, Burke, what did you think about how he tied those two things together? 
I think it works very well. And it goes right along with what he says shortly after that, where he says, I know people in and out of the church who are following Christ just that faithfully. I know children with severe physical disabilities, and I know the parents who care for them. I see all of them working sometimes to the point of total exhaustion, seeking strength, safety, and a few moments of joy that come no other way. Mm -hmm. And the the phrase no other way is an important one for me because I'm always trying to find another way. And a lot of times there is no other way. And also the few moments of joy. Um, I love them. I'm very grateful for them when I happen, but in my life, they are relatively few. And they're short when they happen, but so worth it. And the sort of thing that you can dedicate this kind of effort to experiencing. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Burke. That was amazing. Um, Okay. Let's continue on. Um, Have only about five more minutes left here. We've covered most of the talk. Is there anything else, Rivka, that you wanted to discuss before we talk about any other promises and invitations? No, I think promises and invitations are good. This is a notably short talk from Elder Holland. It is. Yeah. Like I when he gave it, I was I remember thinking like, did I fall asleep through some of that? That went really fast. But then no, it's just <laughs> it's short. So um I think it's great. He finished that explanation that he had and he did it in a very beautiful and concise way. And and checked that off the list, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So any invitations and promises you want to highlight? He says, as we take up our crosses and follow him, it would be tragic indeed if the weight of our challenges did not make us more empathetic for and more attentive to the burdens being carried by others. It is one of the most powerful paradoxes of the crucifixion that the arms of the savior were stretched wide open and then nailed there unwittingly, but accurately portraying that every man, woman, and child in the entire human family is not only welcome, but invited into his redeeming, exalting embrace. And then he says, um, anyway, in that he does another invitation later, but I feel like in that we have the invitation to, I think turn to him to help us in our challenges become use our, use our challenges to become more empathetic and more as he is in this regard. Yeah. I I like how he phrased it, that it would be tragic if we didn't, you know, it'd be easy to phrase it another way. Like, you know, don't let, don't let your hardship turn you bitter or something like that. And, And he says it would be tragic if we didn't allow our, challenges to make us be more empathetic and attentive to the burdens of others. So um, I think that is one of the blessings that can come through our challenges and is intended to come through our challenges. And so maybe the tragedy is if we don't recognize that, or in those difficult times, we turn away from the Lord, then we miss out on, on the, the blessings that come through that refining and instead are just subjected to the difficulties of the challenge. Right. Yep. I love it. Kind of how it talks about in the Book of Mormon at the end of the war chapters where people are either hardened by their experience or they're softened by it. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the modern um, sort of, uh, oh, I can't think of the word I want, not parable, but um, example that people use. It's like you can be the egg or the potato when you're put in boiling water, you know, you can get yeah. soft or you yeah. can, your heart can harden. So. Um, object lesson. <clears throat> That's what I was looking for. Mm, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> 
And then the the next invitation is the one I already referred to. Any other invitations or promises, Burke, you wanted to highlight? Uh, Mark, right here at the end where he says, to obtain such blessings, may we follow him unfailingly, never faltering nor fleeing, never flinching at the task, not when our crosses may be heavy and not when for a time the path may grow dark. And it's that last part when the path grows dark that that hits me the hardest. I was thinking about even this morning, um, one of my favorite forms of exercise lately is to throw a bunch of weight in a pack and grab the dog early in the morning when it's still dark and go for a walk. And the trails we walk on and the routes we walk are trails and routes I know pretty well. But when it's dark in the morning, I still bring a headlamp because even though I know where I'm going, I still don't want it to be dark. I want to see where I'm putting my feet. And in life, we don't even have the benefit of knowing where the trail leads a whole lot of the time. And so yeah. when it's dark, it, it is hard. And a lot of times it is dark. And so I love that he added that to the end of there. That all these things are necessary, even when it gets that hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Burke. And it can be dark in a difficult way and it can be dark in a i just don't know what's going to happen sort of way as well absolutely Um, yeah i love it um well what a great talk even those he he sort of covered like two principles but just those two principles were amazing and powerful i just want to add one comment here um he he quoted from in the um the footnotes, he quoted from a book called uh, Considering the Cross, How Calvary Connects Us with Christ by John Hilton III. Mm-hmm. The context of the talk, he didn't explicitly say this, he didn't even make reference to it, but as as members of the church, we don't use the iconography of the cross, and so often we don't talk about it, and we talk more about the Garden of Gethsemane, and that book is a really good book, and it goes back and shows how many prophets and how much scripture talks about not just the garden, but the cross really um, as part of the atonement and how important the cross was to that. And um, so I I thought it was just interesting that he emphasized that so much in, in sort of the cultural circumstance of us not really talking about it that often. Um, And so it was just a good reminder to um, take the complete Jesus, you know, as you read about him in scriptures and, and to not just focus on, on one piece or on one part. Um, and that his death was on the cross was, you know, the, the purpose of him coming down to earth. So yeah, an integral part of the atonement that cannot be left out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, so much better at phrasing it than me, Burke. Thank you for saving me. Um, <clears throat> great. Well, um, the next talk will be his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Uh, even though we just were told by Elder Holland that it's actually hard. And it was so hilarious gonna... to me this week that, uh, <laughs> that I listened to these two talks in tandem every morning. And I was, <laughs> yeah, that juxtaposition so is gonna... entertaining. It is entertaining. So we're going to figure out uh, how to resolve those two things if, if they appear to be in conflict. And that's by Sister Annette Dennis. Uh, so we'll talk about that one next. In the meantime, you can get a hold of us, as our friend Steve did. Um, you can do it on social media at Words of the Prophets Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or Words of the Prophets Podcast at gmail.com. So thanks, everyone, for joining us today. And until next time, keep the faith. Hola a todos. This is Hermana Ebert. And today I'm going to talk about the talk. Oh, I, hold on. I don't have it pulled up. Um, 
um, Lifted Up Upon the Cross by Elder Holland. Yes, that is the one. So, this one was really good. It was one of my favorites of the conference. Um, and I feel like there was a number of things that stuck out to me. Um, but I, as I was listening to it again this morning, I realized how little he talks about, like, actually explaining why we don't have a cross in our, like, traditional iconology, I believe is the word he used. But a lot of his talk is just about the crosses that we bear as disciples of Jesus Christ and how, like, as we live our lives, um, we have to, you know, deal with certain things other people don't have to deal with. But honestly, bearing that cross, like, there's no better way to live life. Like, I'd rather take all of the hard things that he mentioned in his talk than deal with the hard thing of not having the gospel like that would just be terrible (laughs) so it's kind of interesting that he was like you know we have to follow the savior everywhere included including in places that are difficult but like it's worth it in the end because he's the one that bore the cross so um but something else i really loved which i had never heard before was in the beginning in his explanation of why we don't use the cross. Because usually when I hear that question asked, which has been asked to me a couple times on my mission, um, the answer that's given is usually, well, we focus on the resurrected Christ, right? So, like, we don't focus on his death, we focus on his resurrection. So I've heard that a bunch of times. It makes sense. Perfect. Like, it's good. But I loved in here that um, the one of the reasons that we don't use the cross is because the cross as a symbol didn't come about until like 300 years after Christ's death. And so it makes perfect sense because the church of Jesus Christ, like his church as we know it, disappeared after his death. So like in that time between his death and 1820, whatever, there was no church of Jesus Christ. Like his church did not exist. So anything and everything that happened between there as far as Christianity is concerned, isn't something that our, like, belief system would would pick up on because it it wasn't Christ. Like, Christ's church wasn't there to experience those changes and be part of that expression of belief. And so, because the cross symbol came about between the time, like, when when Christ's church wasn't on the earth, obviously it wouldn't have picked up on that symbol. Because it wasn't around to do so. And so it was restored, like brought back exactly the way it was placed on the earth. And so there was no cross because that wasn't a thing when he was on, like when he was around, you know? Um, and so obviously we've kind of adapted some other symbols according to modern revelation, like the the symbol that's on the church website and the app and everything like the it's I think it's the Christus statue but just in, in drawing form I could be wrong but it's the resurrected savior right coming out of the tomb and it's beautiful and so that's something that we have kind of had because it was revealed by you know the leaders of the church and um, as according as you know because Christ wanted it that way but um the cross wasn't one of those things that Christ was like yeah you should adapt that after it was restored so I thought that was really interesting I was like wow that makes perfect sense like of course 
we weren't around, you know, for that to happen, so, anyways, that was really cool, um, but yes, it was, it was a really good talk, um, I'm sure people have talked about this quote a lot, but, um, Elder Holland says, a true Christian cannot follow the master only in those matters with which he or she agrees, no, we follow him everywhere, including, if necessary, into arenas filled with tears and trouble, where sometimes we may stand very much alone. And I, as I said earlier, like, that's true, but it's worth it in every way. Like, I can't imagine, like, that the most difficult thing I can imagine as far as, like, persecution or being attacked or, or like, standing alone for my beliefs, um, like, the hardest thing I can imagine is not even close in comparison to the amazingness that is Christ's restored gospel. Like, there just, there cannot be any comparison made. It is so absolutely worth it in every way. Um, and, like, it's hard, but that's the point. Like, that's why we live life, is because... Christ is our savior and he gives us those hard situations so that he can help us overcome them and be better for it. Um, and so he's exalting us through our trials and, you know, one of those trials is being a Christian in a world that doesn't value that. Um, so yeah, it was a really good talk. Highly recommend you listen to it. It's a good one to share because it's like, a lot of it's directed towards non-members, I feel like, especially the beginning, because it's explaining kind of a common question, I guess, about Christchurch. But yeah, very good. And um, that's, I think, all I have to say about it. But until next time, guarde la fe. If we teach by the Spirit, and you listen by the Spirit, some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you.